Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is O.J. Shabazz coming to you from New York City, New York. I want to welcome you tonight to the seventh installment in this multi-part series of lessons. By now, you know that we've chosen to call it the revelation, inspiration, and illumination of the Word of God, fact or fiction. It has been my good fortune over the recent weeks to engage in this multi-part series of lessons to manifest the proposition that the Holy Bible, as we have it today, is indeed the verbal plenary inerrant inspiration of Jehovah God. And certainly it has been a pleasure over the recent weeks to engage on each uh, Saturday at 2 o'clock. I want to thank you tonight for giving me uh, this special dispensation to do the time change. And I am uh, in prayer that this time change will be more prudent for the schedules of those who would like to participate in these teachings. Tonight, I want to continue, uh, as I've indicated, with part seven of this multi-part series of lessons. And tonight, I want to spend just a few moments with you discussing the name of Jesus. Should it be Yahshua or should it be Jesus? And is it irreverent? Is it unscriptural? Is it uh, mythical to use the name Jesus as we see it in the English Bibles today? In each of these videos, I've endeavored to enjoy as much clarity and as much transparency as possible. I can fully understand why one would be uh, concerned and alarmed if for no other reason taking under consideration that, for instance, the alphabet J was just introduced into the English language uh, in no less than 450 to 500 years ago. If indeed the letter J just introduced into the English language about the 1500s, then how could the name Jesus be an accurate designation of the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, let me begin by saying to you uh, fundamentally that the name Jesus is certainly a transliteration. And I have heard a number of people endeavor to argue against the notion of the name Jesus not being a translation, nor is it a transliteration. And I'm under the impression that there perhaps are some who do not have a definitive uh, clarity in their mind about the distinction between a translation and a transliteration. Certainly the name Jesus from the original autographs or the original Hebrew language is not a translation, but it certainly is a transliteration. And in just a moment, I'll give you a deeper definitional perspective of what is meant by a translation versus a transliteration and how we in fact can know that the name Jesus, as it appears in the English Bible, does constitute a transliteration and not a translation. The transliterated name of Jesus, the name has not been transliterated once. It has been transliterated four times. It was transliterated from Hebrew to Greek and from Greek to Latin and from Latin to the English. Let me say that again. The name Jesus is not something that's been transliterated just one time. It's been transliterated 
from Hebrew to Greek, Greek to Latin, and then finally Latin to the language that the moral majority of us speak in the United States of America and other parts of the English-speaking world, the language English. The Hebrew word uh, Yushia or Yahshua, however you uh, should uh, determine to pronounce it, is the Hebrew. And uh, then the Greek then comes along with not a uh, translation of Yushia or Yahshua, but it comes uh, with a Greek transliteration. And the transliteration is Isuas. And then from uh, Isuas, we have Jesus. And Jesus, uh, or rather, Jesus then uh, goes into the English word Jesus. Now, why the need for transliteration? Transliteration, ladies and gentlemen, only preserves the form of an original word. Because often, when you go from one language to another language, there are not alphabets that are identically the same. There are not letters, shall I say, in one language that would transpose into the alphabet of another language. When you go from Hebrew to Greek, there is a radical difference in the letters uh, or in uh, the alphabet, if you will, from Hebrew to Greek, as it is the case, going from Greek to Latin, and of course, going from Latin to English. If, if I were to break this down, by the time we get to the Greek, uh, one must understand that the IE, or the IE, if I will put it in, in English alphabets, represents the, the ye sound, or the ye sound in English. The S in the Greek, uh, in this word, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, represents the SH sound. The OU represents the UA sound in the English language. So uh, then someone says, well, well, what about the S? How did the S get on the end of this Greek word? Well, when studying language, particularly the Greek language, um, there are a number of rules about nouns. Nouns describe a person, place, or thing. Uh, and the case endings, the, the last couple of, of letters or alphabets, I'm going to use that terminology so you can understand what I'm saying, describes things like case, number, gender. Uh, that's how the Greek case endings uh, fall out in the first and second, uh, third declension. And so when we're talking about the S ending, uh, this brings us to a point where uh, the same word can have different spellings depending on whether it's the subject or the object of the subject. And that's how the Greek language works. And I know that's a little bit technical, but nonetheless, when treating Greek words and when you want to know things like number, root, mood, tense, uh, gender, that kind of thing, you look at the ending of it, and the case ending will tell you whether it's nominative case or genitive case. Uh, and I'm going to try not and get overly technical, but this is a, a matter of language, and it's very difficult to address this subject without, to some degree, diving into the, just the basics and the fundamentals that have to do with the classical Kone Greek language. Taking the name from Hebrew and going to Greek 
left the translators with the challenge of finding equivalents. So instead of translating, what they do is a transliteration. Now, when I say that transliteration only preserves the form, what, what transliteration does is uses phonics. And all of us are familiar with phonics. Phonics are sounds. If you don't have an alphabet or a letter that is an exact match to another language, then you translate it phonetically. You translate it with that which sounds as close to what is in that other language. There are no identical, in many cases, no identical uh, uh, letters or alphabet to translate. So one does so uh, with phonics. You do so phonetically. You, uh, you, you, you look to the sound of an alphabet in another language that identifies uh, what cannot be translated from the uh, from that original language. Such was the case when we go from Hebrew to Greek and from Greek to Latin, and finally when we end up with the notion of Jesus in the New Testament Bible. Now, I wanna, don't want to go into the notion of nominative case and genitive case because I have to go into a lot of long, drawn-out uh, explanation. Perhaps in another video I can talk in just light detail, I've had just enough Greek over the last many years to get myself in trouble. I am not a Greek scholar. I am a student, and it's been uh, um, a matter of necessity for me to always consult, whenever possible, the classical Kone Greek. Um, I'm very limited in the Chaldean Hebrew, but as much as possible, one will want to consider those languages before we look at what we have in the English translation. So since the spelling of the name of Jesus has, has been in use for, for less than 400 years, uh, and by the way, um, in about 1611, when the King James was translated, the word uh, Jesus was used in that translation and not the name Jesus. I, I'm just very privileged uh, to have uh, this rare uh, collector's Bible in my personal library. This is the uh, the King James translation from 1611, and uh, I kind of keep it locked up and preserved in, in a very uh, careful place so as to hold on to it and maybe pass it down uh, to my children or my grandchildren. But at any rate, in the 1611 King James translation, the word Jesus was not used. It was, at that time, still the word Jesus. So uh, when the letter J is introduced into the English language about the 15, early 1500s, then the word, uh, the letter J, uh, it represents the, uh, the is sound, and we have Jesus. Uh, instead of, if I could pronounce it, if I could uh, read this with the English alphabet, the Greek would be I-E-S-O-U-S. The Latin would be I-E-S-U-S, Jesus, and the Ye sound was replaced with the J, and it becomes Jesus. So now, the literal translation, not the transliteration, where we're looking for sounds to identify what cannot be translated from an alphabet or from letters, if you will, or, uh, yes, letters from a previous language, um, 
the, the, the notion of translation, the literal, would be Joshua. Now, there's some need to distinguish between the Joshua of Nun in the Bible uh, and a number of other instances where Isus is used to identify a character of canon and Holy Scripture. So then, by the time we go through the transliteration process from the Hebrew to the Greek to the Latin, finally to the English, and then, of course, about 450, 500 years ago, the insertion of the alphabet J, we end up with the name Jesus. But I want to tell you something, whether it is Yahshua or Jesus or whether it is Jesus uh, or whether it is Jesus uh, does not change the person. Uh, the second thing I want to say to you is that it does not uh, make the language sacred. Uh, Hebrew is not sacred. Greek is not sacred. Latin is not sacred. English is not sacred. They are but languages that are spoken by respective cultures at different times. And while I'm cognizant of the fact that when you go back to the uh, the Hebrew, the original Hebrew, that the word is not Jesus, uh, my answer is, of course it is not, because the original uh, Chaldean Hebrew uh, parts of the old canon translated in uh, in Aramaic uh, did not have uh, 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 English alphabet. So certainly one would not look back to the Hebrew to find the name Jesus or the word Jesus, or for that matter, in the classical Kone Greek. There were challenges enough with the transition from the Chaldean Hebrew and the Aramaic into classical Kone Greek, and when one considers languages, there is yet another set of challenges in the transliteration or translation or attempts to translate from the Greek to the Latin as it is the Latin to the English. The name Jesus is a transliteration. And I've heard a number of people say, well, it's not a transliteration because the name Jesus doesn't mean anything. Well, it does not. It does not mean anything. It does not mean anything from this standpoint. It is phonetically transliterated. Uh, this is a matter of phonics. Uh, and phonics is the science of selecting sounds absolutely as close as possible to the original word. And, and so uh, I'm not looking for the word Jesus in the Hebrew canon. I'm not looking for the word uh, Jesus in the Latin. Or in, but, but by the time we get to the language that you and I speak uh, today, it is not the language of the Hebrew people. It is not the classical Kone Greek of that day and culture. It is not uh, Latin as we find in the Latin Vulgate. Uh, it, it is certainly uh, English that you and I speak in the United States of America today. Personally, I see absolutely no, uh, no issue with a person referring to the Messiah as Yahshua or Yahshua. That, that is certainly be, can be found in the Hebrew language. But when one goes to the extent of indicating that it is somehow irreverent or blasphemous to use the name Jesus and not the name Yahshua or Yahshua, then we are saying more than we can really substantiate. To do so would advocate that there is some sort of of sacredness about a given language. And there is no sacredness about a given language 
any more than it is irreverent to take words that you and I speak in other parts of the identifiable English world that they speak to identify the same individual. He's still Savior. He's still Messiah. He's still Redeemer. He's still Reconciler. He is still all of the many things that are reported about him in old canon and in new canon, old canon in prospect and prophecy, in new canon in the ultimate fulfillment where we see the life and the ministry of Jesus all the way to his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. The fact of the matter is uh, no language is sacred, and the Bible teaches no such thing. The Bible nowhere teaches that one cannot translate into other languages. A case in point, and I often wonder if people remember this, a case in point is found in Acts chapter 2 on the first Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus in AD 33. Here we have the day that the church, the kingdom of God is established. It is indeed the first Pentecost after the resurrection of our Savior in AD 33. Luke, the historian, tells us that there are gathered in Jerusalem at that time Jews out of every nation under heaven. And then he begins to enumerate those Jews, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Cretes, Arabians. There were Jews out of every nation under heaven. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Parthians, they spoke one language. Medes, another language. Elamites, another language, uh, and on the list goes, as reported in Acts chapter 2, the 12 hand-picked apostles get up and they began to propagate and teach the gospel so that every person can hear the gospel message in their own language. And no doubt, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, the dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia, all spake and wrote entirely different languages. If they were Hebrew-speaking people, Aramaic-speaking people, people who only spake classical Kone Greek, then there would be no need for the apostles to propagate and to teach the gospel in all of these different respective languages. There is no indication from that context that it bore the connotation of irreverence or blasphemy or in some manner degrading the identity or the person of Jesus or uh, Yushia or Yahshua or or Isus or or, or or whomever it, uh, in whatever language one speaks uh, chooses to identify the Messiah, the Son of God. It's it's a clear example uh, right in our face in the Bible of the the uh, the Word of God being propagated under the guidance of the Holy Spirit in more than just the Chaldean Hebrew, the Aramaic, or the classical Kone Greek, which was uh, very classic at that time, but yet all of these Jews that have come from every nation under heaven, not to mention those that were proselytes, uh, if you notice in the context, uh, God only knows, and I don't know uh, exactly what language those proselytes 
uh, or at what corner of the earth into which they proselyted into Judaism. I, I don't see where the text or the context or even the ultimate context gives any indication of that. Nonetheless, my, my fundamental point is this is an apostolic example of the use of a variance of languages for the spreading of the gospel message uh, and the fundamental core of that message was Jesus. That, that, that's about whom they were speaking, and even to the point of going back and uh, coordinating prophecies uh, of the Old Testament and showing the fulfillment of it that takes place on the first Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus in A.D. 33. Is it wrong for a person to say uh, Yahshua? Uh, I, I, I think that's absolutely accurate, and, and I don't see why we would have an issue or problem uh, with a person whose conscience said that I feel more comfortable in referring to him in that way. What I am in taking issue with in this video is the notion um, for individuals to make uh, unfounded uh, charges like it is blasphemous to use the name Jesus or it is demeaning not to use the Hebrew designation is, is going a bit far. Uh, and, and I think that it certainly cannot be substantiated by anything that could be subsequently found throughout the scriptures. It, it is perfectly understandable why we refer to him as Jesus, even given the history uh, and the, 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 uh, the process from Hebrew to Greek, from Greek to Latin, from Latin to English. Ladies and gentlemen, we're still talking about the same Messiah. We're, none of this has been, in, been done as an indication as to, ch to change his identity, which brings me to the next item that I want to spend a few moments discussing, and that is these uh, plethora of conspiracy theories. And I've read a number of them, and I'm sure that you have as well. Ladies and gentlemen, please be careful about what you're reading on the internet. Because it's on the internet does not make it, make it factual, because you read it on the internet does not make it truthful. Um, some who profess to be scholars are not scholars, and some of them are scholars who are acting out of their genre of scholastics, because fundamentally a scholar is not someone who is well-studied, well-read, or very articulate with with language, but one who was given their life to a specific genre of study for the entirety of their life. And you've heard me speak of this on other occasions. <clears throat> uh, let's talk about just one or two of these conspiracy figure, uh, uh, theories. Uh, there are those who allege the fact that the Greek designation of Jesus too closely reveals the notion of Hail Zeus. And therefore, there's an attempt to correlate, uh, to coordinate uh, Christianity and Jesus to uh, Greek mythology. Well, that tells me that you don't understand very much at all about the Greek language, because if you look at the classical Kone Greek language, the mythological god Zeus and the spelling of that name and Isus, as it is in the Greek language, are two entirely different, I'm going to use this word, spellings. Uh, they are two entirely different, I'm going to use this word, pronunciations. And third of all, there are no doctrines or teachings um, in the New Testament or Old Testament Bible designed to parrot this mythological god called Zeus. So I don't see where there can be validity 
to the conspiracy theory that the reason why these men changed his name to Jesus was to give some indication of the truth. And the truth is Jesus is nothing more than the Zeus of Greek mythology. And that is absolutely ridiculous. There is no connection between Jesus and Zeus, whether it is as a result of a transliteration spelling or as a result of the itinerant life and ministry of Jesus. It just cannot be substantiated. And there's so, there's so many scholars uh, and individuals who study these specific kind of matters the entirety of their life that have long since debunked. And when I say debunked, I mean they've exposed this as nothing but error, untruth, heresy, heretical views, and nothing but another antithetical attack against a pure New Testament Christianity. And when I say antithetical, you already understand that I'm meaning that which is against, in this case, a pure New Testament Christianity. The second uh, very popular uh, conspiracy theory about the name of Jesus is that the uh, the New Testament writers had a desire to be racist and to, in fact, suppress the Jewishness of Jesus. And the rationale kind of goes like if you follow the progression of early New Testament Christianity, whereas initially it was primarily Jews, as time went on, it became more dominantly Gentile. And so about the time it became more dominantly Gentile, there was a motivation to make Christianity more palatable to Gentiles. And as a motive uh, in so doing, the result is they changed his name to Jesus. Well, the fact of the matter, again, that's in my mind an absolute preposterous uh, 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 theory, and for these reasons. It is a virtual impossibility to look at context like uh, the Gospel according to Matthew, which chapter 1 gives us the genealogy, the lineage, the bloodline of Jesus Christ, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judas and his brethren, Judas begot Pharaoh and Zeroth Timah, uh, 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 Pharaoh begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Amenadab, Amenadab begot Nison, Nison begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz of Rechab, Boaz begot Ruth, Ruth. Begot, and if you go down through this, gen this genealogy, for 42 generations with rare exception in that genealogy, clearly shows that Jesus is a Jew. So when you look at the two genealogical records recorded in New Canon or the New Testament, it's ludicrous to think that you could change his name to Jesus and then cover up the fact that he is a Jew and then be a racist by saying we need to make him look more Gentile than Jewish is absolutely ridiculous. It is categorically undeniable especially if one were to read with honesty and integrity the book of Hebrews, one would see that Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus being from the tribe of Judah makes him uncategorically, deniably a Jew. So, you know, what then would be the value and the validity of one trying to cover up the Jewishness of Jesus when the scriptures redundantly and repetitively and resoundingly give evidence after evidence after evidence that Jesus of Nazareth was certainly a Jew? So this idea of the 
conspiracy theory that Jesus uh, was introduced in the scripture so that he could more align with the Gentile mentality and culture is absolutely unfounded. It's absolutely unfounded. It makes absolutely no intelligible sense whatsoever. Uh, should we call him uh, Yeshua? I don't see why not. It's it's go to the Hebrew, and and it's there. But I don't speak Hebrew. I don't write Hebrew. Uh, I speak English, and I for one understand the transliteration process, uh, and it's not difficult to uncover. Uh, there is no ambiguity about the identity of Jesus Christ uh, because one can follow that from Old Testament prophecy into New Testament fulfillment. As one holistically reads the Biblos or the book, the 39 of the old, uh, uh, 27 of the new, at 66 as one Biblos or one book, as you began to look at the Old Testament, you see the Old Testament is obviously the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament, obviously, is the Old Testament concealed, or re rather revealed. And I say that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is the New Testament revealed, because that Old Testament gives many prophetic utterances about the coming of the Messiah, and the fulfillment of it is seen and realized during the new canon, or during what, what is referenced as the Christian dispensation. So the undisputable and undeniable fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, uh, th there is no shame in calling his name Jesus, and there is no J conspiracy. Uh, that's absolutely ridiculous, uh, and, and people tend to believe a lot of the foolishness that they find on the Internet, uh, that they find from individuals who are antithetical to Christianity, antithetical to the notion of the God of the Bible, and then they raise all of these quibbles, which really have no merit whatsoever. Do you understand the process. By the time we get uh, to Jesus uh, uh, in the in the Greek, the IE represents the the Y sound or the Y uh, the Y E sound in English. The S represents the S H sound in the English. The I O uh, in the Greek represents the uh, U A sound, and uh, then along comes the insertion of uh, the alphabet S when the Greeks in the classical Kone language, sits down and determines whether it is used in the nominative case or the genitive case. And one of the reasons why I really don't want to get into that, for instance, there are 37 or more different genitives, objective genitive, subjective genitive, and, and on and on. In other words, is it the person or uh, that which is about the person, you know, subjective or objective. Uh, in the nominative case uh, is a whole nother uh, genre of the classical Kone Greek language. Uh, but certainly it's not difficult if you sit down and understand first the English language, verbs, adjectives, nouns, etc., and then go over into the classical Kone Greek. I had the shock of my life, and I've only had four years of classical Kone Greek, and that's not nearly enough. It's not nearly enough. I know enough Greek to get myself in trouble, but I quickly learned that if I didn't have a good grasp on my own English language, it was difficult for me to understand the classical Kone Greek into which um, they translated the, uh, auto, uh, the original autographs from the Chaldean Hebrew and small fragments of the Aramaic into the LXX or the Septuagint. It's called LXX because 70 of the world's ripest scholars come together and convert a dead language. 
and I said a dead language because uh, Hebrew classical Kone, or rather uh, Chaldean Hebrew at the time of its being translated was no longer written. It was no longer being spoken by the people, yet classical Kone Greek was the language of their, their day, and so there was a translation. In the translation process, it's often necessary and needed that there be transliteration because of a lack of equivalence in alphabet. And that's essentially what I've said today. These, these, these theories, you know, and conjectures and suppositions and, you know, all of this intellectual talk about, you know, folk who, you know, just trying to make uh, the Bible tell the truth about its, its mythological origins. It's just unfounded, ladies and gentlemen. So that's pretty much what you have uh, today. Uh, you want to call him Yahshua or Yahshua? Fine. I, I, I say amen. Uh, you want to call him Messiah? Fine. And by the way, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. It means anointed one. And uh, uh, many think that all languages work like English or all cultures function as does our, country, our, our uh, culture in the United States of America. In the, in the Eastern culture of antiquity, an individual was identified by a family first name. Uh, and that's why you see no last name for uh, Paul, no last name for Peter, no last name for Mark, Luke, John, uh, etc. Because in their culture, uh, a name was given to them, uh, a first name to bear identity to uh, someone in their family. Christ is not a surname. It is a designation, is what it is. And it tells us about one of the tenets of his character and his position. Not identifying him as a family person, but as uh, a position. And certainly he is our Messiah. He's our Savior. He's our Emmanuel. He is Yahshua or Yahshua. He is Jesus. Uh, he, he is uh, in every designation of language. So interesting to me, people have never made much about the notion of Peter in one language, Petros, Petro, uh, Petros uh, in different languages, uh, all different spellings, uh, all different names, if you will, but they all refer to the same person. Uh, the, the variance has to do with the language in which it is reported or the language in which it is uh, spoken. I'm going to call him Jesus. And I'm here to suggest to you that you ought not let some uninformed individual or overzealous individual discourage you from referring to the Messiah as Jesus. And you should not be condescending towards someone who refers to, to Jesus as uh, Yeshia or, or, or Yeshua. Uh, th there's no reason to do that because in the uh, Chaldean Hebrew, that was certainly the, the designation. So I don't know if this has helped. I, I hope so. Um, thank you again tonight for the time change. I didn't want to hold you long, but I wanted to say something a lot about this on the internet as of late, and it caught my attention, and I find it comical sometimes. Not that it's uh, funny comical, but I think comical in that people throw out a lot of accusations, a lot of uh, charges and, 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 and uh, erroneous uh, positions without any substantive evidence or proof or documentation uh, whatsoever. Go back and get yourself a good Chaldean Hebrew um, English uh, dictionary. Get yourself a classical Kone Greek English dictionary. 
um, and look at these words and look at the progressive history of how we got them in the English translation today. He's Jesus. And I thank God for the salvation that he extended to me. God bless you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I look forward to seeing you on next Friday at 8 p.m. If it be God's will, I'm going to be right here, same time, same place. May I ask of you before we go to know that I now have one Facebook page where all of these videos can be found in one place. It is called Moments in Meditation with O.J. Shabazz. Would you please go there and follow me in these series? I'm going to continue for a while giving an apologetic defense relative to the uh, revelation, inspiration, and illumination of the Word of God. Uh, oh, beautiful question. Maybe I'll deal with that later on. Pasalo. Uh, that's a whole nother subject, whole nother line of argumentation. I indicated last week I try to stay focused. I love uh, the question, and maybe at some time I can help folk understand even Pasalo in terms of some lines of argumentation that we're using that ought not be used. Uh, in addition to treating Pasalo in its etymological uh, history, uh, but that's that's another subject, another time. Moments in meditation with O.J. Shabazz face, on Facebook. Uh, if you'll go there, please like and share. I'm going to continue giving an apologetic defense to the revelation, inspiration, and illumination of the Word of God. Revelation, that's what God did. Illumination, or rather uh, inspiration, that's how God did it. Uh, illumination, that's the reason why God did it. Uh, revelation, what? Inspiration, how? Theonustia, God breathed. For what? Our illumination, our knowledge, our information is uh, the purpose for which we have the revelation and inspiration of God so that we can know this grand scheme of redemption about which we read in both Old and New Canon that Jesus, Yahshua, came to the world to save man from his transgression. Uh, moments in meditation. Please go there. Like, help me get the word out. Uh, and at some point, ladies and gentlemen, I will try to give more segments. I've only done this once, but more segments to some of these questions. Someone asked last week, or at least made a reference to the notion of the early um, councils that will be the Council of Constantinople I and II, the Council of Ephesus, the Council of Smyrna. Uh, there were other councils, uh, the Council of Nicaea 325. There was a second council at Nicaea that, and these councils, days like the day of worship was decided, which is ridiculous. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And we'll talk about uh, notions uh, along those lines in, in subsequent videos. God bless you. Pray for me. I'll be praying for you next week, same time, same place. Um, moments of meditation, please go there. Like, follow me, if you will. I'm trying to get the word out. God bless.